Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Ja, yeah, alright, let's get into this. Um, we are back. This is the Bundesliga-Podcast from the Football Grad Network, Gegenpressing. I'm your host, Manuel Fede, and yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. I'm so glad we're back and um, really happy to be back with Stefan. Stefan, how's it going? Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well and all our listeners. Uh, I've had a great short break. I was right back at it on the 3rd, um, but had a lovely Christmas and New Year's. And yeah, the Bundesliga is back. We're back at it. And it was a tremendous weekend of football, uh, a really dramatic one, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, you know what? It was actually really good. And um, I'm glad it was back because we didn't actually know whether it was <laughs> going to be back <laughs> on the weekend. Um, we're going to talk about, and I think this is, we're going to leave this topic to the very end. Um, we're going to make you listen to the entire show first before we get that. No, no cheating. Don't skip ahead. Um, but yeah, I think there were some doubts about whether we're actually going to have the Friday game at least, right? And um, because Omicron is doing Omicron things, everyone is getting it. That's just the reality of it now. And so we're going to have positive cases. And some Bundesliga players decided to to take this opportunity, this short break, to travel all over the world. So we had players stuck in the Maldives. Poor them. Um, feel very sorry for them. And um, it looks like that. That it looked like for a moment that could um, jeopardize the the match day, but it didn't because the DFL really quickly said no. If you have enough players registered, you get to play, even if those players are in the academy. And I actually, I actually thought that was a good thing that the DFL put their foot down and said everyone who has enough players registered should be playing. And yeah, so we got a full match day. Good for the DFL to put their foot down. And um, but I think before we jump into this. Uh, Stefan, there was there was a a big transfer in the Bundesliga. Um, I don't think I think we all kind of expected Ricardo Pepe because Americans love going to to Germany, right? And um, it was pretty much all agreed that he would go to Wolfsburg. And I think no one would have been surprised if Wolfsburg spent around ten, twelve million dollars, euros, or whatever on a young, very promising striker. But how surprised were you when Augsburg pro- doubled their previous transfer record by signing an 18-year-old American? <laughs> yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? I, I had briefly read about him over here. Um, I've seen reports he'd been linked to Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe a couple of Italian clubs as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but... Yeah, it completely came out of nowhere. And the question was, you know, is this another Serge Gnabry situation where Bayern Munich have kind of given Augsburg some money to buy a player and develop him for a couple of years and then they pick him up when he starts scoring goals against Dortmund or something like that. Um, But that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, Yeah, and it's really exciting. And God knows Augsburg needs something because um, obviously Weinzio's going back there, but it doesn't really seem to be working out for them. And I must admit, I really didn't, uh, hold a much hope for them ahead of in, ahead of that Hoffenheim game, um, who we'll probably go to talk about in a bit. Are probably one of the best teams in the Bundesliga right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I literally have nothing to say about this guy. I don't know who he is. Um, I've seen maybe twenty minutes of him playing the Bundesliga. You're you are Mister America, well, technically <laughs> Mister Canada, but you're Mister MLS, so you you should be the one telling us all about this MLS import. Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, I think it's very exciting that he ended up in Germany. Um, he's very, he's actually very good. Um, you know, listen, um, yes, MLS isn't a top five, isn't comparable to a top five league in Europe yet. I have to say yet, because the money that's put into the league and the infrastructure and clubs is phenomenal. Um, and I think a lot of people don't still kind of belittle the league a little bit. Um Although that's, I think, slowly changing. And we've seen a lot of young Americans come over and right away make a mark. Um, 
you know, Tyler Adams comes to mind, right? Who's done very well at Leipzig. Um, Alfonso Davies, of course, who's come over from the Whitecaps and took half a year to become one of the best left backs on the planet, playing for maybe the best club side that exists. Um, so, you know, there is there is lots of precedence for it. And Ricardo Pepe's got a lot of goals for Dallas. He scored 13 goals last year playing as an 18-year-old with adults, you know, in, in a league that's very difficult to navigate on a team that wasn't very good. So, um, fair enough, you know, um, he's a very, very talented player. We had him at uh, 8.8 million euro, uh, dollars as his market value. That was in his last update we did for MLS. And we, we realized there would be a transfer. I thought it would be around 10 million. And that's where Wolfsburg had his evaluation as well. They were very far um, close to being done. And then Augsburg came out of nowhere to sign him. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether he is the right signing for them to get them out of the relegation struggle. Augsburg are one of those teams that every year I think they're going down, right? And every year they sort of, they don't. And it's it's a funny club too in the league because how am I going to say this in a nice way? I don't think they as a market offer much to the Bundesliga. Mm. You know, like they're not a big traditional club, even though they claim they are, but they're really not. Um, they kind of, Augsburg is a really nice, sleepy city, which is also kind of like a suburb of Munich. Um, you know, <laughs> they are, in terms of fans, the amount of fans that teams have in Bavaria, they are definitely behind, like everyone is behind Bayern, right? But they're behind 1860 in, in Nuremberg, and probably even third, you know, mm. in terms of the amount of fans that they can generate. Um, so they are uh, an interesting club in that regard that, you know, they're not really that big. And um, it's so I thought it was really I, that that I all made it really surprising that they were the ones doing this. Of course, now it's emerged that they have an American investor that they kept on the low burn because Stefan, we talk about this on the show quite a bit. I personally don't have any problems with investors. Uh, I know you don't either, but mm. Augsburg are a club that have quite prominently displayed themselves as a club that's anti-investor. So how are you surprised were you that an American investor helped them finance this deal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 quite tricky because obviously, you know, it's not just the American investor giving them money to then spend as they please. I mean, technically it probably is, but it can't be a coincidence that it's a, an American player bought with American money uh, at a club, you know, in, in, in a league rather that... Um, you know, has a has a obviously has a good following in the US as well, but obviously one that is used a stepping stone by a lot mm. of um, a lot of people from outside of Germany. A lot of players move to Germany obviously as a stepping stone, um, and I don't think anyone would begrudge Pepe using Augsburg as a stepping stone. But it does make you wonder, like, well, what 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 are the finer details to this transfer? Who's got clauses? Who has? percentage sign-on fees etc etc we read all these things about you know agents and um it even goes beyond agents now it goes it goes to like third parties that even finance entire deals uh that contracts sign up to uh, the the club sign up to rather um so i'm i'm intrigued to see if anyone ends up shining some light on that down the line and if there's anything dubious i did make some calls stefan okay I didn't make can trust calls. you to sh- could trust your shine a light to shine a light on so, it. So interestingly enough, Bayern were were trying to get involved in this deal, but <laughs> Dallas. So they're not. Um, there has been all these rumors that this is a church church Canapri kind of situation. It's not. It really isn't. They don't have their fingers in this. That doesn't mean they're not going to sign him down the road because they are Bayern. They can. <laughs> you know, they have the money and the means to do it. Um, what was the big thing is a Augsburg paid way more than Wolfsburg around six, $7 million more. That's significant. Right. But mm-hmm. what Augsburg was also willing to do and that Bayern wasn't willing to do this. Dallas still hold a percentage of the deal about 20%. Right. Okay. So, um, so they were able to give them these, these extras on top uh-huh. of the money that they were already paying to begin with. So when they sell Pepe, and I mean, this is very much the plan that four or five years down the road, they're mm-hmm. going to sell him and then Dallas will get 20%. Uh, and Bayern Munich were, for example, saying like, no. <laughs> and Dallas also had their doubts on whether, like, for, if Bayern buy Pepe, that's it. That's the end of the road. Like, where is he going to go after that? The moon? I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there wasn't more money to be made. 
Um, whereas when the, the, the way the deal was structured with Augsburg, it actually means that Dallas will still make money down the road, um, which is interesting in itself, right? Yeah. Well, it makes um, sense. It's, it's just all parties, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, the people that own Dallas, I mean, that they, they are rich business people that have multiple clubs. They're involved in multiple clubs. And I mean, David S. Blitzer was the investor at, at Augsburg. He is he just bought Real Salt Lake in the MLS as, as an investment group. He owns uh, shares in Crystal Palace. Um, he owns shares in the Philadelphia 76ers, the, uh, the basketball team. And he owns shares in... Uh, the New Jersey Devils, the NHL team. And um, there's a Spanish team as well that he's involved in. So multiple clubs uh, where he's yeah. holding shares in. And of course, in, in Augsburg's case, he doesn't actually hold the shares directly at the club. He holds 45% of the shares of the Klaus Holdband GmbH, yeah. which owns, ninety, I think, 99.5% of the FC Augsburg GmbH. But those are not voting shares because that would be illegal. They are yeah. just... Uh, non-voting shares, right? Because the AV, which is at the base of the club, has to own 50 plus one to to be within the 50 plus one rule. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, so that's sort of how it's structured. So it's, it's very, not the most transparent thing, but yeah, like the way the Dallas, Dallas have done this and why they've gone with the Augsburg options because Augsburg gave them a roadmap of how to develop Pepe and how they can all benefit from this transfer further down the road. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because if he's if he's if he picks up fifteen goals um, in twenty twenty two, then all of a sudden he's worth thirty thirty five million euros, yeah. isn't he? He then gets sold to a Premier League club. Dallas get their slice of the pie, and everyone everyone goes home happy. Um, so it, it makes perfect sense. It is interesting. I, I'd love to know why he's decided to specifically invest in Augsburg. Because yeah, me too. <laughs> I, 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 I know. Well, I, I know asked. you. Did you yeah. get an answer? No. <laughs> yeah. So my, my, my theory would be that, as you said, they're obviously, they're not the biggest club, but they are, I mean, Augsburg as a town is this, it's one of the most kind of small, beautiful towns in Germany. Mm. It's a very, very picturesque town, very Bavarian, very German. And it's, it's the kind of place where you would imagine just like an American tourist falling in love. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Uh, because I can say that from first-hand experience because when I was considering moving to Munich a few years ago, my fiancé and I found Augsburg and fell in love with the place. And we thought, wow, maybe we can live here and commute to Munich, etc. So it's it's one of those places. That, so that I, I, I do just wonder if, like, you know, it's the kind of place that catches the attention of maybe some rich American who maybe, you know, has always thought about an idealistic version of Germany. But And it's a 45-minute train ride from Munich. Yeah. But you know, we're speculating here. And there's probably people sitting here thinking, I did not uh, tune in to listen to a travel program about the German countryside. So, <laughs> so but do to ground this up, so I did ask to get to sit down with David S. Blitzer, and so far, no luck. Uh, yeah. I'm not someone to give up easily. So I'm going <laughs> to keep trying. And um, hopefully I'll get an answer. Because I find it, I find this whole, I, I am not someone against investors. Quite the contrary. I think we are in a situation now where German football needs it, right? You look at Italy, it's it, it's normal there now that you have this kind of investment deals. And and to, to be frank with you, it's benefited the league. Mm. And I think that um, it's actually quite clever what Augsburg have done there, and I hope it works. And it's there's been some... Max Ebel has said that Gladbach are looking at something similar, right? And these teams are ripe for American investment. And if you can find sort of the loopholes to keep 50 plus one intact, while also selling shares. And if you do it the right way, so not like Hertha, um, then, then it's or like 1860, my club, who have also budged it. Um, I think it's actually not a bad idea because yeah. then all of a sudden a team like Augsburg can spend $20 million on a guy like Pepe. Like in the end of the day, that's a good thing for the league. That's how I see it. Like if you get some amount of American investors to come in and say like, okay, so what does your club need? Oh, you guys need a striker. Okay, who do you want? Okay, you want this guy. Okay, let's make it happen. Let's just sign him. Let's mm. let's beat those Premier League clubs. Let's beat the big teams in Germany, the, the traditional big financial powerhouses like Wolfsburg, Bayern, Dortmund, and Leverkusen and so on, and bring this guy to this club and spread the wealth and make the league more competitive as a result. I personally think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree with you. I mean, I think obviously, you know, the, the way what you described earlier on about the so basically, you used a lot of large 
complicated German words, but basically what it is is that, um, as most people listening to this podcast will know, German football clubs can't sell 50 plus one of their shares, but what they do is they basically have a parent club and they set up a kind of, I don't know if it's technically a parent company or it's a sister company. No, it's a parent uh, company. Yeah. Usually it's a parent company, yeah. Yeah, and basically because that parent company isn't a football club, uh, people can then invest in that and then they can have some sort of influence in that. So um, people are investing in the company that owns the football club rather than the football club itself. So a lot of, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, a lot of German clubs have kind of set up these models because it, it kind of lets them circumvent the 50 plus one rule, to be blunt, um, mm-hmm. because it allows them it allows them to bring in a lot of, um, not just foreign investment, but investment in general. Um, but it also... I, I think it's fine because it also at the end of the day, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't um dilute the shares that the fans have or the members have. So they're still in charge at the end of the day, but it does mean people can come in with a lot of money and spend a lot of money. So um which, you know, I think more or less is fine. Um there are plenty of examples of it not working well, as you said, Herta are a good one, but if it's done well, sensibly Yeah, or eighteen sixty another one. Um uh, maybe Schalke to extent, you know, local businessmen put money in and then not yeah, really they, don't, it. they haven't set up a parent company though. Um, they're talking about doing it as well, but like other good examples are like Dortmund and Bayern have parent companies that they have sold shares, but not majority shares like um, hmm. 1860 had to have done. They have sold the majority of the shares, but not voting shares, just like non-voting shares. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a huge difference in that because like you have to have like the, the base club, the EFAO, which is like the membership club, has to hold 50 plus one of the voting share. Mm. So, yeah, I yeah. know it's a lot of big words. And um, <laughs> Should we go back to the football? <laughs> yeah, we should go back to the football. Um, but it, it is it is really interesting. And I think it's, it's Augsburg is a really interesting example of how they found a way to some an investor, who's Klaus Holtmann, to own 99.5% of the club share. Um through his holding company, while the membership club at the base still has 50 plus one of the decision-making shares, right? So, of course, the person that has the money always makes the final decisions. That's how the world works. But it gives the illusion that the membership club still has a lot of power and actually does have a lot of power. And I think that's very interesting. I think we'll see that model more and more. Um, I think we'll see a lot of it, actually, in the coming years. Um, will be interesting. Um, yeah, let's talk about football, Stefan. Um, the league is getting interesting and we're not saying that just because Bayern lost and Dortmund actually won and we get to that in a moment but I want to talk about the Champions League race and (laughs) it is from third to ninth Um, there's a six point difference so Hoffenheim are in third with 31 points they're probably the surprise team in the league and we haven't really talked much about them which is a shame um, they're right above the second most surprising team, which is Freiburg, right, <laughs> with 30 points. And then you have your usual subject. You have one usual subject in Leverkusen in fifth. But then you have Köln with 28 points in sixth. Um, mm. Then Union Berlin, who I don't think it's actually that surprising anymore because they've done the same thing last year. So kind of, I guess, we expect them to be in thereabouts. Um, mm. Frankfurt, who I thought were excellent. This, this weekend and probably should have mm-hmm. deserved the win um, with 27 points. And then you have Leipzig, who were excellent this weekend uh, with 25. And I guess we all assume that they're now rolling up the field. The race for the Champions League from those, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams for two spots because Bayern and Dortmund are going to get the first two. That's That's going to be very interesting to watch this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like a really interesting race. We've we kind of we've kind of touched on the kind of the underlining reasons for this. I think in the past about how you know a lot of the big clubs in Germany seem to be kind of really struggling the last couple of years. You're talking about Werder your Bremen, your Schalke's, mm. uh, obviously in the lower league, Hamburg have been down there for quite some time. But even this season, Gladbach um, really struggling on and off the pitch, Hertha Berlin. I know they're not a big club, but a, a rich club. It should be a big club. Yeah. Um, they're chaos. Um, and Wolfsburg, who we might go on to talk about later on, but they're just in full kind of just crisis mode at the moment and nothing seems to be going right for them, which is really interesting. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, and only as you said, maybe the only kind of big clubs, if you want to put it that way, are maybe Leverkusen and Frankfurt in there in terms of, and then obviously Leipzig as well. But hmm. it, it's 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 fantastic. I mean, Hoffenheim have just kind of slowly but surely become one of the most kind of consistent teams in that division. I, I know Augsburg kind of took a lead in that game, but you know Hoffenheim just kind of kept squeezing. Bebu's a fantastic striker. They got Kramerich back there as well. The whole team just seems to be really clicking into gear. Uh, Freiburg. Probably quite disappointing actually to drop a two point a two goal lead and end up drawing mm. in that game. I think a lot of um, Dortmund fans were actually quite happy that not only did they gain points on Bayern Munich at the weekend, but also they kind of managed to extend a lead against Freiburg and Bayer Leverkusen. The Leverkusen game in particular, which is the one I was watching on Saturday, was just an absolute nonsense. To be perfectly honest with you, um, Leverkusen were completely in control of that game. Patrick Schick scores a tremendous goal. And then just before halftime, Union pull one back. And, you know, I would I would have went so far as to say that the only Union player who was actually really performing in that game was the goalkeeper. Then second half comes along and the game just completely turns on its head. And for about 40 minutes, Union just completely thumped Leverkusen. I think they maybe hit the crossbar or the post three or four times. Um Unfortunately for Leverkusen, Jonathan Tah kind of turns around and um, grabs a, a late a late header. I was kind of laughing to myself because I was reading the post-match comments and Hiradeki, the goalkeeper, had the audacity to say that some people in the team have to kind of wake up and stop, you know, and from a defensive point of view, the defence keeps letting down the attack. And, you know, I actually thought he was at fault for one of the Union goals. And I'm not entirely sure I'd say he's had a great season. He's always kind of been a player who I wonder has kind of been a weak link for Leverkusen. But anyway, um, again, another game in which Leverkusen happily scored two goals without thinking about it, but then they happily concede just as many as well. Um, so it's 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 a complete Royal Rumble down there. Everyone's taking points off everyone. Um, and I think, as you maybe about to allude to, uh, there's, a, there's a huge amount of space for Leipzig to move straight into. Yeah, I think Leipzig... With the squad that they have, um, I mean, I think we can all agree that they shouldn't be where they are. I, I think they should be right where Bayern and Dortmund are in terms of points and um, and everything because that's a very good team that they got. And um, I'm really curious to see if Tedesco can finally get the best out of them. You know, um, I mean, it's Andre Silva scored twice. That's why they paid a ton of money for him for. But with the team that they have, I, I think, you know, five points isn't much. And what works in their favor is that these guys in front, front of them are all going to drop points to each other. Hmm. You know, they, they have to. I mean, it, it's just how it is um, with this league at the moment that, Unless you buy in and Dortmund, and you mean even Dortmund to to a certain extent, you can everyone can beat everyone, and even Bayern Munich are dropping points randomly this year against. I mean, they got beaten by Gladbach, and I mm. guess yes, we'll get to that. I promise, and we'll talk about that in depth. But it's possible for anyone to drop points at this stage, and you just look at the next match day, right? Um, Dortmund are against Freiburg. And normally we would say Dortmund should win that game. I'm knock on wood. I hope so. And I'm not a Dortmund fan. I just want the league to stay close. So um, you would assume that the rest of the pack is going to benefit from that. But Union are playing Hoffenheim. So someone is there is dropping points. Um, Leipzig against Stuttgart. Um, who else do we have? Gladbach against Leverkusen. That's a derby. So mm. someone could be dropping points there. You know, it's kind of all over the place. And I mean, Köln were in the pack. They're playing Bayern. Normally, I would say Bayern win that game, although we don't know who Bayern is actually going to be able to field next weekend. But it's so wide open. So Leipzig could actually be the team that said, okay, all we need to do is really put four or five wins in a row. Yeah. And that would probably do it. Then you're you know, right in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've been... That, that Leipzig game against Mainz, now I know they kind of had... They were quite lucky, obviously, in the sense that Mainz... And Mainz are a, good. Really yeah, good. Picked up a red card in the first 20 minutes. Andre Silva gets a penalty. Mm. But that game, um, RB Leipzig just looked so composed. They just looked so on top of things. I mean, Shobislai's goal, uh, it's definitely worth watching the highlights for this yeah. game because 
he 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 quite literally walks into the box and just kind of he almost embarrassingly taps the ball into the back of the net because there's nobody nobody trying to defend him um, or stop him. And you know, Mites obviously made things look really easy, but it was obviously a, a, an RB Leipzig game where it, this is kind of what I think we've kind of been hoping or expecting or, or predicting at one point in the season things are going to kind of click. And they're always going to have to click because there's just so much quality in this Leipzig team. Um, if you can fix that defense, if you can make sure they're not being, a, they can hold on to the ball. They've got the talent that will just kind of go on and win games for you. Um, and that kind of felt like that's what we were looking at uh, over the weekend there for in the Leipzig game, and and that's what they can maybe go on to do for the rest of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. Tedesco, and this is maybe where Tedesco was actually quite a smart signing because. You know, if 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 you if you had a team um, that had a had a lot of great defenders uh, and maybe some decent forward players, that's maybe when you go out and get an attacking head coach and you say, right, it's up to you to get the best out of these limited attacking players that we've got. You bring in someone like Tedesco, who's obviously background is defensive, structured football, and he's probably saying to himself, if I can get his team defending properly. I have the players that can go on and score goals all on their own. They don't need yeah. me to. Co- they don't need me to coach it into them. And that's exactly kind of what we saw from Shobislai. We saw it from Silva and Kunku came on, who's just seems to be creating everything from nothing right now. Um, and, you know, and, and and that's and that's and that's quite exciting for if you're if you're an RB Leipzig fan because if Tedesco can kind of get the basics right, they have that 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 talent there to just kind of go on and win games. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, and I mean, I think you. You bang on with the fact that once the defense is sorted, I think the rest will kind of sort itself. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, once you have the freedom, once you know as an attacking player, um, your defense is going to sort it, and you have that stability in midfield and defense, with the amount of quality that they have up front, I mean, I'm I'm waiting for Andre Silva to you really get going. I mean, two goals this weekend, sure. But like, once he gets really going, and then they are going to be a very difficult team. And there's tons of time to, to still finish in top four. You know, I actually think they're going to finish top four. I'd be surprised if they don't. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely think they do. And, I, and, I, I, and as you kind of mentioned, I don't think there's much standing in their way. I think, I think Leverkusen in a kind of similar way, will always be up there too, just because they have so much firepower, they have so much attacking talent. Yes, they're conceding stupid goals week in, week out. Um, not entirely sure the current head coach brings a huge more, a huge amount more than the last two or three, and that's kind of always just been Leverkusen's problem. Um, I'm not really sure they fix that unless they have a real proper rebuild of that defence, and that's when kind of guys like Jonathan Tarr, Hardeke are eventually moved on, but I think they've got enough talent there to kind of always be up there. Um, Cologne, Union, maybe even Frankfurt. I mean, Cologne and Union, obviously, I think, obviously, they, as, as, the season, as the season goes on, they kind of drift into mid-table. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's really hard to see Freiburg and Hoffenheim dropping points, and it's really hard to see Frankfurt as well, even though they have just lost yeah. to Dortmund. It's really hard to see that team who looks so well coached right now, and they, they knew exactly what they were doing in that Dortmund game, uh, it's hard to see them dropping points too. So I do think Leipzig will push up there, and I think they'll really be pushing for that fourth place come, uh, the, you know, the else in May time. But it's hard to yeah. see who's going to drop points. I actually think the team that needs to be worried the most of the traditional four, top four, and that sounds kind of weird because they are so much so far ahead of Leipzig is Leverkusen, because mm. you just know that one of these other teams, whether it's I personally think it's Hoffenheim or, or Frankfurt because um, of of the money that they have and the the team that they have. Are probably one of those two could could do it this year. Uh, Hoffenheim has the, has a history, of course. They have finished in the top four twice already, right? Um, Frankfurt are due finishing in the top four, and I think Frankfurt, of all the coaching changes we've seen, they've probably the only ones that actually done the right thing by bringing in Oliver Glasner. Mm, and, yeah, absolutely. And Croatia has done a fantastic job on the transfer market. And the, the, the players that they signed, whether it's Rafael Bore on a free transfer, um, Jens Peter Hauge, Jesper Lindstrom, all these young, t- talented players that 
you know, could have gone anywhere else. Um, and I think as long as you have Philip Kostic in the team, you, you, if you're a center for, it must be just a dream being Rafael Bore playing for this team. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> the amount of opportunities you're getting by having Kostic in your side is just incredible, right? And um, yeah, they've done a ton of things right. And I think it's very impressive. And I feel like they do a top four finish. And it's really interesting to see them progress um, this season after Freddy Bobic went to Hertha and uh, Hütter went to Gladbach, thinking that was a better opportunity to get into the Champions League. And neither one worked out well for either one of those two people. And Frankfurt are just keeping on going, um, probably because of what they're doing in the boardroom, right? And the decision that they made there. But it, it's a very well-run club now, and I think they do a top four finish, and that would that means one of the traditional top four might lose out. Um, I mean, Wolfsburg. The problem is in Germany we don't really have a traditional top four, right? Because Wolfsburg are kind of always in that mix as well. But um, one of those teams in Wolfsburg probably have are going to lose out. But there's Leverkusen could be the another team that might not make it in the top four because someone else will probably break in, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's really exciting. I mean, I think sometimes I do kind of think, oh, you know, it's um, it, it sometimes it feels as though it's Bayern Dortmund, and then it's just this huge. I used the term Royal Rumble earlier on, but it does feel as though, you know, and in, in a lot of it's obviously down to the fact that a lot of clubs are struggling financially right now. There's been this huge turnover in managers, um, obviously in the summer or head coaches. Uh, and it's just kind of led to this huge bit kind of melting pot of nonsense. But it's fascinating. It's fantastic to watch. Um, but there's no club there that you would really say wouldn't deserve a champions a shot at the Champions League next season. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, especially if you're obviously talking about Wolfsburg, obviously didn't do much in it this year. And I'd far rather see a club like Frankfurt um, or Leverkusen or Cologne. Can you imagine Cologne in the Champions League? It would be absolutely... Oh my God, we'll never hit the end of it. The whole, city, the whole city would be like carnival. Honestly, the place would just go nuts. Um, tw- Twitter would be going nuts because that seems to be where every single Cologne fan is, as far as I can tell. Uh, but yeah, it'd be crazy. Um, and they're all fantastic clubs. They're all run by really good coaches as well at the moment. So I, 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 I can't fault any of them at this point in the season, really. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I think it's exciting to watch because you really don't know what the results are. When you take the top two, you cut the top two off, everything underneath there is a free fall. And um, we have no idea how it's going to end. And that's exciting. So, I mean, and all these teams play really good football as well, which is another thing that I find very exciting. I hope, hopefully soon, we're actually going to be able to see that good football paired with attendance. Um, No idea how far away we're from that. And we'll see, I guess. So let's talk about that top two um the game on friday i was a little worried that with all the players that Bayern munich were missing um two of them stuck in the maldives as i alluded to earlier lucas hernandez and manuel neuer tested positive in the in the maldives i'm like first of all why do you think with Omicron, it's a good idea to send your players halfway across the world. You know they're going to get it. We're all going to get this. It's unavoidable. Omicron spreads like wildfire. So why do you have your players fly halfway across the world? Um, for a club that's... And I've, I've been watching the Amazon Prime documentary about Bayern Munich, and it's the amount of detail, obsessive detail that they work in at that club. How can something like that slip through? Um raises a huge question mark in my mind. You know, of all the things that you that they've always planned, two of their key players are stuck in the Maldives. I mean, don't feel too bad for them because like I think quarantine now ends after five days. So they were essentially free to go wherever they wanted to. They just couldn't travel back. Uh, <laughs> but uh, of course, they were two of the many players that were missing. And it seemed like every day more players were added to that list, right? And um it, came, it sounded like at one point they were not able to field 11 players, which is, of course, nonsense because you they have a, a list of players. The DFL makes you register a bunch of your U19 squad and they have a team in the Regionalliga, right? 
granted they haven't played in a while and in a winter break but it's not like they don't they weren't able to put enough bodies on the field and in fairness the 11 the starting 11 that they did field only one of those players in the starting 11 was not a guy who should be getting regular minutes for another Bundesliga side with Malik Tillman who is a really really talented player as well so I, yeah. I saw all the build-up to this and this made international headlines and my biggest worry going into this game was that and I within 30 minutes I actually thought that was going to happen that Bayern this this team of all these guys in quarantine were going to thumb Gladbach 5-0 <laughs> And you and I would both know what the narrative would be like, right? This mm-hmm. league sucks. It's a farmer's league. Bayern dominated. They can win it with the C team and all that. Completely ignoring the fact that Gladbach also had COVID cases. Um, completely ignoring the fact how Gladbach have played all season, right? That would have mm-hmm. been the narrative. Um, and completely ignoring that Bayern put out a very good team. So I don't want Bayern to lose, first and foremost. Um, this is not... We're, we're very neutral on this podcast. But for the sake of the league, this was... I actually think this was a good result for the Bundesliga, Stefan, because it showed that Bayern cannot just walk in with a B team and beat everyone else, even a team like Gladbach that has struggled all year. And it shows that Gladbach kind of like kryptonite for Bayern. <laughs> they don't like to play them, right? No, they really don't, do they? Um, yeah, it was an interesting game. Um, I, I Like you, I kind of watched with trepidation all week. <laughs> Um, because I, th- I honestly thought the game would be called off. There were all sorts of comments from the Bavarian, you know, health minister, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you thought, you know, this is kind of what happens in Germany. A couple of guys rub shoulders. They do each other favours. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bayern will be given a ben- the benefit of doubt and they'll get a chance to replay this game. But they didn't. And as you said, they were able to put out a strong start to live. And now I think, having said that, I think there were obvious faults in this in this start to live in which kind of led to obviously Gladbach winning the game um, even that first goal that Gladbach scored which even though it, it turned into a bit of a kind of you know the ball kind of bounced off five players before the ball went into the back of the net but you can see Sabitzer's completely out of position at left back for the cross coming in Nicholas Sula just kind of sticks a leg out and doesn't really seem that bothered about trying to stop the cross which ends up leading to the goal Um Musiala in central midfield as well. I'm not very comfortable with that. He's not. He's obviously doesn't. Have, I don't think he has the discipline to play as a central midfielder. He's far better forward, doing what he does best. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you, but, but you then have guys like Muller and Lewandowski in that team. I thought Lewandowski, despite everyone behind him, still looked head and shoulders above the rest of the game at times. He looked like he was just going to drag Bayern Munich into that uh, through that game. He hit the crossbar. Uh, in the second half, he scored a tremendous goal, um, a really mm-hmm. top class, world class goal. Um, and at one point, he almost rounded the goalkeeper and uh, put the ball in the back of the net almost single handedly. So, you know, on another day, Byron may have actually went on and actually claimed this game, but um, they didn't have enough about them overall. Key players in key positions were missing. And as you kind of said, Gladbach do seem to have this weird edge over them. I think I tweeted after the game that. Of the eight games, I think Gladbach have won this season. Two have been against Bayern. One have been against Dortmund. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just, it's just bonkers. This team, which, you know, is often, um, it's quite a funny thing to kind of laugh about because it does happen from time to time when a team are doing really bad in, during the season, but they seem to raise their game. It's actually usually, in my opinion, um, or in my experience, it actually reflects poorly on the head coach because. What it really means is that this team are actually quite capable of winning games, but they only really the, the players individually only raise their game when they're up against the very best teams because they individually want to prove themselves against those best clubs. Which I think is probably why Gladbach do look good in these Bayern games. It's why they obviously beat Dortmund, um, but it's also why when they're expected to pick up three points against I don't know off the top of my head Stuttgart or someone, um, they struggle. And that's that's maybe that's maybe a worry for Adi Hooter. I'm sure he's probably sitting his feet up this week after that that result. But my concern would be why is it that these guys do make an effort whenever we play Bayern Munich, but they don't make an effort when I need them to make an effort. So sorry to kind of turn that really important win for Gladbach into a negative, but yeah. <laughs> that's a very good point. It's a really good point because 
the narrative afterwards was like, oh, Hütter always does well against Bayern. And in fairness, with Eintracht Frankfurt, he did. And then Eintracht Frankfurt actually played two very good seasons under him. So I want to mm -hmm. stress that. But this Gladbach side also beat Bayern in the Pokal 5-0. And this was both teams at full strength. So mm. it's a very good point that the quality is undoubtedly there. They're way better than what the standing in the table suggests, right? And yes, even with the if the COVID cases that they had, and they had a few as well, they still put up a very, very strong team. You know, a team that should probably be fighting for a Champions League spot rather than worrying about relegation. And it, it does it does raise an interesting point is why is Hütter able to get the team to beat Bayern Munich 5-0 in the Pokal. Again, mm -hmm. both teams at full strength, right? Why is he able to go to Munich? And we all know that Bayern Munich are the most dangerous when when they are facing adversity. That's part of that club's identity as well. And DNA that when they get put into an impossible decision, like on Friday, they raised their game. Everyone on the field raised the game. Müller and Lewandowski were incredible, right? And if and I tell you one thing, if Manuel Neuer is in goal, they win that game. Because mm. I think both those, both the Gladbach shots, both of them would have been stopped by Neuer. And so it does raise the question, because Gladbach could have also scored one or two more in this mm -hmm. game. And it raises the questions like, why is Hütter not able to do this every week? Rather than us sitting here saying, oh, against Bayern, his teams do great. It's like, why don't they do great against, I don't know, uh, Hertha or Wolfsburg or Stuttgart? It's a very important question, I think. It, yeah, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not entirely sure it's one that I could answer. I don't know if it's anything. It's, I don't entirely know. And sorry, let me try and correct myself. I'm not entirely sure if it's anything either of us can answer in general because mm. it, it, it does seem to be one of the great mysteries of the Bundesliga this season. One thing I'd maybe suggest is that, you know, we're kind of seeing Neuhaus kind of slowly but surely come back to his game. Um, yeah. For Gladbach, he's now picked up two two goals in the last two games, actually, for them. He's in and out of the team this season. You know, he spoke about it in the past, about how, you know, if we wanted to give Gladbach the benefit of the doubt, if we wanted to give, uh, you know, Hütter the benefit of the doubt, you can kind of look at the kind of injuries and absences, for lack of a better term, because obviously with the pandemic, it's not, it doesn't just come down to injuries, it comes down to, well, isolations and all sorts of things and government regulations and whatever else. And you can kind of look at the fact that Neuhaus has been out, Zachariah's been out, Hoffman's been out, you know, Turam's been out. This entire squad is missing a lot of players from one moment to the next, you put on top of that a new head coach who maybe comes in with a different set of tactics and as we've seen across the league in general, um, you know, the, the, the transition period can be quite deadly for a lot of clubs in terms of form on the pitch, but it's there's, there's certainly there's, there's certainly kind of stuff missing there in that Gladback team and I do wonder if like slowly but surely in the second half of the season, um, you know, maybe... You know, obviously Neuhaus starts coming back. He starts putting mm. the decent performances. Zakaria, maybe he gets his, maybe he agrees a deal with our club this month because obviously he's in the final six months of his contract. Maybe he says, "Hey, look, I'm leaving for Munich. Uh, Munich. Well, actually, maybe Munich. Uh, but I'm leaving for Dortmund. I'm leaving for Man United mm. in, in in the end of the season. But for these last six months, I'm going to run. I'm going to really make an effort. At Matthias Ginter, another one as well. I think." I think the kind of noise around these two players who are both probably expected to move on at the end of the season has maybe impacted their form. Um, but if they basically draw a line under it this month by saying, I'm moving on, we might see a different kind of side to them in the second half of the season. You put Neuhaus in there, who maybe is kind of getting back in some decent form, can really put together a decent run of starts in the team, which he just hasn't done at all this season. Um, and Gladbach could be a different beast. Um, but for now... Huge question marks, I think, remain over Hooter and how this team only seem interested in performing when the spotlight's on them, when they're in the top spiel, when they're Friday night at the Allianz Arena. That's that. Mm. Without trying to be too down on Gladbach uh, and to Gladbach fans, that's that's actually a concern to me. Yeah, 
I I would fo- go fully go along with that. Um, big game for them on the weekend on Saturday. Um, not surprising that is the fixture of next week. Um, the derby against Leverkusen, right? The, one of the the two Rhine derbies that we have. I guess it's three. Um, Gladbach against Leverkusen, Gladbach against Köln, and Köln against um, Gladbach as well, right? Hmm. Do you get all of them? Yes. Oh, there's three teams involved anyhow. Um, <laughs> all Rhine derbies. You can argue with whoever, whichever one is the biggest Rhine derby. I think the three teams are all um, pretty big nowadays. So it's really hard to say which one is the biggest between the two fixtures. Gladbach-Köln is probably the most traditional one. No arguing there. Uh, Köln-Leverkusen is the one with the two cities the closest. So it's going to be a big game. Um, it's going to be a very interesting game too. And uh, I think it's it's going to be a good measurement stick for both those teams. But um, Stefan, we mentioned two guys, Matthias Genter and Dennis Zakaria. And there's one team in Germany that could probably use those two guys more than anyone else. Um, and that is Borussia Dortmund. How desperate are Borussia Dortmund when it comes to signing a guy like Dennis Zakaria because their defensive woes this weekend against Frankfurt um, to go down 2-0, get themselves in a situation where they have to come back and they win the game, thankfully win the game to keep this keep this league interesting, the Bundesliga interesting because it would have been, I think, another one of those things where Bayern lose and Dortmund lose the next day and we would have been in the same narrative again. And now we actually, when you compare it to the Premier League where the gap is, I think, something like 10 points, we actually have only a six-point gap but when you look at that defense, Dortmund need to do something. And there is two guys, Gladbach, that you can sign on a free. They should pretty much do anything they can to get those two guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point, actually, because if you look at this Dortmund team and the way they tend to set up most games, they don't actually really play with defensive midfielder. They have the Hood, who is a kind of holding playmaker. They have Jude Bellingham, who's a kind of number 10, a number 10, a number 8 box-to-box player. Um, but he's more attack-minded. Julian Brandt as well, who maybe, who usually plays in there, far more attack-minded. So in any given match in the Bundesliga, they have three central midfielders who are far more attack-minded. Uh, and I think that is evident most weeks because that, that defence is hugely exposed. You know, we've kind of made... We've, we've, we've talked about Dortmund's defence till the cows came home this season. We go on and on about it. Mats Hummels himself after the match said that he was asked to explain the way that Dortmund concede goals and all he could say was, it's exhausting. And I completely understand where he's coming from because you look across that back four, Guillermo, I thought, had a terrible game. He looked he looked well off the pace. Hummels running around putting out fires as usual. Emery Chan getting nutmegged, tackles... Still don't understand why he's getting played when uh, Rosa has an actual central defender on the pitch, uh, on the on his bench in the, in the face of Pongragic. Um, you can argue who's better, I guess, it comes down to personal opinion, but it says a lot about his team that Emery Chan is playing a central defence or right back most weeks. Um, but the problem is that Dortmund simply don't have a defence midfielder they can rely upon. I kind of made these points last towards the end of last season that I thought Axel Witzel was beginning to kind of look as if he was really slowing down. Uh, I thought he had a really poor Euros. Um, actually, I'm trying to remember now if he was injured for the Euros. Actually, I can't remember. Um, or if it was the, if, if, um, Did he get injured right after the Euros, possibly? I'm trying to remember now. Um, either way, um, he hasn't had. He hasn't really got a shot this season. It doesn't seem as though Rosa really favours him much, which I can understand. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Delaney moved on in the summer uh, after probably proving to be... Um, a little too slow at this level as well. And you just simply don't have a defensive midfielder that you can play in that position. Um, and it is a huge body, and Zakaria would be a perfect person to fit in there. Um, I'm not too sure about Matthias Ginter. Something tells me he maybe isn't the right kind of player to move to Dortmund, uh, considering his history. Uh, but, you know, there's obviously links to a lot of players. They've been linked, obviously, to the Freiburg central defender, Schlotterbeck, who would be an amazing signing. I don't think Dortmund really have the money to spend on someone like that in January, but if they could put maybe 10 million euros towards bringing in Zakaria this month, I think that'd be a huge, huge signing. 
uh, and it would fix a lot of things. But, it, but then you have the question as to who do you drop because uh, Dehoud actually had a decent game. Jude Bellingham actually had a decent game. They both scored goals. Uh, Dehoud was a tremendous goal in itself. Um, but there's a lot kind of still waiting to come together for this Dortmund team. Uh, I'm trying not to turn this into a rant because I'm aware that I kind of go on these rants every week about Dortmund, but um, my kind of throughout the match and when Dortmund were losing, I was making the point on Twitter, I was saying, look, the problem with this Dortmund team is that they're so reliant on individuals to pull them out of trouble. The tactics don't really seem to suit a lot of these players, but they seem to be, you know, you've got your Hallands, your Marco Royces, Julian Brandt, who's obviously been very good this season. Uh, Bellingham, who's been very good this season. These guys all seem to be, it's almost as if Dortmund are just kind of waiting around most matches, waiting for them to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and the tactics, yeah. the, the tactics themselves aren't doing it. Um, but then Dortmund going to score three goals and everyone says, ha, 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 what are you talking about? But Because it's Twitter. But I still, I actually think the point still stands. Dortmund fans will be delighted with the win, but the manner in which they had to go about winning the game I think it actually proves that Mokros' tactics haven't quite clicked into gear yet. Yeah, no, I, I do agree, actually, with that quite a bit. I, I mean, I see it. I, I see it. You see it, right? Every weekend you see, um, at the beginning of the year, it was often Erling Haaland that rescued them, that he got hurt. And then it was Mark Royce quite often. Um, Torgen Hazard was the savior this weekend. And you see it that, like, individually, and I actually feel, I feel like this has been an issue for them for a while. Um, even going before Rose, even when it tears at times, you feel you had the sense that it was the individuals that that would rescue them. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Individual brilliance exists for those moments. Bayern Munich rely on Lewandowski to rescue them um, quite often too, right? Mm-hmm. But you never ever really see them as a functioning team unit working through the mistakes if that makes any sense it's always kind of um yeah it's always like someone comes on and rescues them or Haaland like bulldozes his way through an opponent's defense and um and gets gets it done and it's yeah it's 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 very it's very it can be frustrating to watch, and it gives you it, it makes you wonder whether it is enough to actually dethrone Bayern because it's, it's six points now. Maybe Bayern stumble again next weekend. It's possible that they they drop points against Köln and then you know the gap goes to what three. But is that enough? Because they have to essentially make up six points, um, no seven points in the in the Rückrunde to Bayern. Mm. That means a perfect Rückrunde, and you cannot every match day rely on someone to rescue you that might work 50 60 percent of the time it's not going to work 100 percent of the time and they are now at a place in the league where the margins of error are zero yeah exactly and i think i think the real i think the real test for dortmund is obviously coming up isn't it um my my worry, if I'm a Dortmund fan, is when i look at that frankfurt game i see a well-drilled and a well-coached team that frankly passed the ball around Dortmund for the best part of 90 minutes in that game. And if it wasn't for some really tremendous individual talent in that Dortmund team, Frankfurt really should have picked up all three points. You can maybe argue that maybe Frank, the first 10 minutes in the last 20, 10 minutes of the game, I thought Frankfurt just completely took their, their foot off the gas um, and allowed Dortmund to really get in. And that's basically how they lost the match. So I'm sure, you know, Frankfurt will go back to the training ground and they'll work on that. But, if you're Freiburg, who they have next, or you're Hoffenheim, who they have after that, or maybe even a Leverkusen or Union Berlin, who they have after those games, you're probably going to be watching your video analysis of that match and say, let's do what Frankfurt did, or let's do what we do, which is similar to what Frankfurt do, and we should be okay because Freiburg are a very, very well-coached team. We've talked about how good Hoffenheim are. Leverkusen are a different animal because they're probably just as, you know, porous in defence as Dortmund but they have players who could certainly hurt Dortmund um, but you know I really think Freiburg the, these two games against Freiburg and Hoffenheim I feel like these are definitely the kind of games that we're going to kind of show just how serious Dortmund are about really challenging uh, this season because not only will they help put points between them and the teams in third and fourth but it's exactly these kind of big games that against really well drilled teams 
Dortmund have to prove that they can outplay, not just outscore, if you know what I mean. They have to prove that they can actually tactically and, and the whole as a whole as a team, uh, they can match these sides because I think this is maybe why, maybe goes some way to explaining why Dortmund were so bad in the Champions League last this season because to a certain extent, Dortmund can be bad but still pick up a win in the in the Bundesliga because they have a Marco Royce, they have a Haaland, they have whoever else. But when they're asked to do that against bigger teams in the Champions League, Ajax, for example, just completely annihilated Dortmund uh, in those yeah. two games because they, like Frankfurt, are a well-drilled team, but they have the quality on top of that to completely destroy Dortmund. So. I think a lot of Dortmund fans are probably still waiting for the team to kind of start performing on the Rosa. They're doing well enough. They're picking up points. They're showing a remarkable amount of grit and determination on an individual level, which I think has been missing from Dortmund for a long time. So there definitely is a kind of X factor about this team that has been missing for some time. Ever since, really, I, I would I'd go so far as to say since Klopp was at the club. Uh, mm. But I wouldn't put that down to Rosa just yet. I think that really is just down to the fact that they have some extremely ambitious young players in that squad. Yeah, I think that's maybe my final point as well before we have to wrap it up because we're almost out of time. But they seem to struggle every time they play against someone who's well coached. Mm. And like Ajax 100% fall under that category. Sporting with Amorim as well. A very, very impressive head coach, right? Um, who has had a very good season. Um, Glasner... Again, I, I cannot praise him enough. He is—he's done excellent. I think you—you you just look at where Wolfsburg and Frankfurt are this season. Where Wolfsburg are without him, and where Frankfurt are with him, or where Hüt, where Gladbach are with, with Hütter, who Glasner replaced at Frankfurt, right? And you see how good of a coach uh, Oliver Glasner is. Um, and you know, I think he—he he really caused some significant problems and. This is where it becomes interesting this weekend, right? Because they're playing Freiburg, <laughs> who happen to have a very good coach in Christian Streich. And um, then they're playing Hoffenheim, as you said, and they also happen to have a very good coach. So it's going to be really interesting to see. It gets, I think the trouble we're in, is maybe my final thought, Rose is being outcoached often and an individual brilliance seemed to rescue him. Mm. And that's, in a, that's if I was Dortmund, I'd be worried about that. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we were talking about that during this game. I said, you know, the manner in which Frankfurt are winning this game and the manner in which Dortmund looks so clueless on and off the ball is really disturbing. And I think that's something that would really infuriate Dortmund fans if they had gone on to lose the game because it wasn't just a defeat. It was an illustration of the lack of cohesion and maybe training and coaching in this team. Now, I'm kind of willing to give Rosa the benefit of the doubt because this season has been so condensed and it's been such a nonsense with the pandemic that I think most head coaches, in particular Rosa, who's had to contend with his team in the Champions League, whereas obviously Frankfurt don't have, obviously I know they have Europa League and things, but a lot of clubs don't have to worry about as, as, as strict a schedule as Dortmund. But still, kind of willing to give Rosa the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't had a, hasn't had enough time to really impose his tactics on this side. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, when I was speaking to someone at the club recently, they did kind of, they kind of did, even when I was being quite complimentary because it's the start, they had a decent start to the season. Uh, he did kind of air caution by saying, look, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, kind of suggesting that a lot of what they wanted to do wasn't quite getting through just yet on the pitch. So it's a transition period for Dortmund. And I think that's really evident from the way that they are playing. But I guess you could argue that, um, they're still comfortably second place. They're still within the arm's reach of Bayern. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's exactly, if you if you, if you you told a Dortmund fan that at the start of the season, they would have probably bit your hand off. Yeah, probably. So I think this match day is going to be very interesting. We have some really big games. Dortmund Freiburg is one, Bayern against Köln, uh, the Rhein derby, Gladbach against Leverkusen. Uh, some really interesting matches. So I think we'll have a lot to discuss next week, Stefan. I want to point people real quick to your newsletter, the Thomas Müller article. If you haven't read it yet, it's very good. It shows you how good Thomas Müller is. So please give that a read. And yeah, we'll be back next week with more. And it's so, so glad to be back um, discussing all this. And hopefully we'll get to do it with fans in the stands very soon. That'd be very nice as well. So yeah, once again, Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you had a good Rutsch. And yeah, Bundesliga is back. Talk to you soon. Auf Wiedersehen. Yeah.
Ende in Sicht. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.